We believe life is precious. This is it. We've got one shot at this. It's on us to live life to the fullest, to maximize what we've been given and play the game of life at our full potential. Are you living up to your potential? Are you frustrated that despite your best intentions, you just can't seem to make the changes needed to take things to the next level so you can impact your career, relationships, and health? If this is hitting home, you're in the right place. Our mission is to open the door to the exceptional life by showing you how to play the game of life at a higher level. So you're playing at your full potential rather than at a fraction as most people do. We'll share the one thing that once we learned it, our lives were transformed. And once you learn it, watch what happens. Welcome to the Think It, Be It podcast. I'm John Mitchell, and today we have a very special guest, the legendary Jeffrey Gitterman. Now, Jeffrey is in the Speaker's Hall of Fame and is the king of sales, literally the king of sales. He's really the foremost authority on sales in the United States. But Beyond that, he has had a profound influence on my life when I was 41 years old. So before I share that story, though, Jeffrey, welcome. How are you doing? Thank you, John. It's always nice when you set such low expectations for this speaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, uh, I know you're going to blow us away today in uh, probably so many ways, and maybe maybe the way to start is to to uh let's review before we start let's review the football score from last week when the eagles played the cowboys you I know was- we'll have to edit that out and so jeffrey uh <laughs> you know yes you won at home that, that's a big deal you're gonna be playing dallas we, in dallas we tried to give you that game and you wouldn't take it you refused to take it well we didn't we didn't want to win at your place so we were we were good hosts and so we'll kick your ass in Dallas. So get ready. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. So I'm going to tell our audience how how you and I met, which uh, okay. you know amazes me even today. So when I was 41 years old, I was in Dallas, and I, and everybody that listens to this podcast know knows that I wasn't as successful as I wanted to be when I turned 50. And so the same was true at 41. And I had gotten turned on to Jeffrey from reading the Dallas Business Journal. He he did a, a weekly sales column in all of the uh, business journals around the country, largely. And I was always totally impressed with j- j- just how sharp he was, not just about sales, but about everything. And I thought, man, I would love to buy an hour of his time. And so I contact him and find out he's going to be in Dallas in a in a month or so and so we arranged to to have lunch and i write him a 500 hundred dollar check which was this said in the 90s that was a, a nice bit of change at the time and mm-hmm. so we meet for lunch and he gives me an amazing pearl of wisdom he says you need to turn your car into a mobile university and i hear that and i'm going wow that makes a lot of sense, you know, partly from, from well, from a lot of angles, uh, you know, the saving time standpoint, the consistency of it. And so 
after the keep in mind listeners there were no cell phones there was no spotify you could if you didn't read it in a paper or own a cd or a cassette tape you didn't get it right right well and and you know so after the meeting i'm like boy that's a great idea and so i proceed to try and do it but ultimately don't do it because I was lame, candidly. But when I turned 50, as I'm really trying to figure out how to change my life, I remember that visit with Jeffrey, and I'm like, you know, right there, right there, there's there's your problem right there. A big part of your problem is that you're not growing intellectually. And and Jeffrey gave you the answer, but you, you out of ineptness, didn't apply it. And... To, to fast forward, I I saw that the problem on my end was I needed to create a system for personal growth. And yeah, I'll tell this story real quick. I'm like, okay, well, how do I do that? And and my wife, Ginger, had given me a, a copy of Success Magazine. Back then, it had each week, Darren Hardy would interview, or each month, Darren Hardy would interview four people. Each interview is about 15 minutes. And they'd have a CD in the in the magazine, so I bought it. I listened to the uh, CD, thought it was great. Ended up contacting Success Magazine and ordering like literally thirty six back issues. I get all the magazines, pull out the CDs, <clears throat> throw away the magazines, <laughs> and I create a, a drawer in my office and I throw all the CDs in there and. I committed to myself to that I was going to, every Monday morning, first thing, I was going to go into that drawer. I was going to close my eyes. I was going to pull out the two CDs that the universe said I needed that week. And then I'd march in my car, march into my garage and put them in my CD player. And my commitment to myself was I was going to listen to them, both of them, by the end of the week. And again, I'm I'm confirming this system in my daily visualization that I created from Thinking Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. But what what happened is after about six months, you know, I mean, I'm I'm learning all sorts of stuff. You know, it's it's all built around you know being successful as an entrepreneur. So I'm learning things about sales, about marketing, about employee empowerment, and it got to the point where you know. My team, when I had like a 175 employees, they'd be like, where the hell are you getting these ideas? It's <laughs> idea week. That's cool. And I told them, I said, you know, they're not my ideas. They're the ideas of brilliant people. I just, I become a conduit of learning. And it was so powerful because that power was amplified by the fact that from my 12-minute-a-day application of thinking real rich, I had amazing control over my life so that as I got ideas, I had no trouble implementing them. And so, and and truly, this personal growth commitment started with Jeffrey. So, you know, let me just publicly thank you. It's really my pleasure. The reason I'm able to give you that kind of advice is because it's what I did. Right. You know, I'm in the in the seventies 
I'm listening to Dennis Waitley and all, all the people of that genre. Right. Uh, whether they were comedian guys or they were, you know, it's Zig Ziglar. It's, you know, the, the, the gamut of legendary people. And I listened to Glenn Turner, classic guy. But as the as the 70s progressed, I became a distributor for Nightingale Conan so that I could buy all the stuff for half price. Wow. I didn't care wow. about reselling it. I only just bought it for half price. So that was the that was the challenge for me. I never went anywhere without a tape in the car. Right. You created yourself out of pure intention by learning from the wisdom of others. Correct. And it's funny, when you were saying that, I go, Well, that's what I did. <laughs> and I realized how that whole thing came about. Right. Um, I have always been a student once I dropped out of college. Right. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Because I didn't really care. You know, college was not compelling. And it's sad that many of the college professors, even at the highest level, have never had a job. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's academia. I just, I can't believe that. But for me, I didn't really care. I wanted, you know, my father was a businessman. My grandfather was a businessman. My mother was a businesswoman. They all, everyone in our family had their own business. That's what I wanted to do. Right. Right. That's how you make it. Well, and you know, Jeffrey, I tell you, this, this is so amazing. Success is no more complicated than what we're talking about, because I see that, that, you know, you have to grow from the wisdom of others and the growth has to be consistent and it has to be strategic relative to what you want to accomplish. Yes. So often today, you know, I talk to people and I ask, do you grow? A hundred percent of them say they do. And then when you dig in, they say, well, yeah, sure. I, I listen to Joe Rogan. I haven't done that in a while. That's what they'll say. Right. Well, well, yes. Well, they'll either say that or or I listen to like Joe Rogan. And I'm like, that's not no. growth. That's entertainment. No. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just amazing that so few people really have a a system for personal growth because that's that's where I it took me, what, nine years to figure out why I, I was so lame and couldn't uh, implement your great advice, but it it ultimately I saw I had to create a system. And and I've come to realize you gotta have a system for everything. That's what think it be it is. You know, everything's mm-hmm. a system. But um but you know, today I wanna here's the topic today. The things I wish I knew about success when I came out of college. And let me set this up a little why I came up with this. So as you know, I teach at the University of Texas, and I teach with the former chancellor and president. And so he called me up last week, and he says, listen, will you go to my class for my graduate students, for the MBAs and law students, and and, and oversee the class? Because he was in, I think, Philadelphia for the uh, Lincoln Financial Board meeting. And so I'm like- No, he was there for the Eagles game. I know what he was there for. Well, I, no, he wouldn't waste his time <laughs> on that. That's- uh, <laughs> but uh, so I go to the class and keep in mind, these are MBA students and law students. And I'm looking at the class. There's, you know, and after the class, they're all coming up with questions and things. But 
they all want to be successful, but they're all clueless as to how to be successful. And so let me let me throw this one to you. What sure. do you wish somebody had told you when you were like 21 years old about the real world and being successful? I don't, maybe my situation was slightly different, but let me share with you what it was. Okay. I grew up in a family where everyone owned their own business. So I just assumed that that's what was going to happen to me. Right. When my dad played Pinochle every Thursday night, it was with three other business owners. And I would sneak downstairs and hide behind the wall so I could listen to them play cards and talk to each other. Yeah. All smoking cigarettes or cigars, you know, all drinking a beer or whatever. Right. I mean, that's how life was in the 60s. Right. No. And I wasn't even driving a car yet. So, right. I mean, for you know, I already had college education sitting around a table, going to a party. When people came over for dinner, I already had that kind of understanding. Right. So when I went to college and I found out that it wasn't the same as my dad's discussion, mm -hmm. I didn't have a compelling reason to stay. Right. So right. I worked and I went to school. And I can remember clearly the day that I went into a finance class and I asked my professor, what do you do when a guy bounces a $10,000 check? And he said, we don't cover that here. <laughs> wow. And I had to, I had to go. Why right. would I be there and have that not be that real world? Sure, sure. And literally, I had a guy named McKenna teaching economics, the guy that would the guns and butter guy. And that was kind of interesting. And my English composition class was kind of interesting. And my archery class was kind of interesting. And that's it. Right. That, right. That's it. I, I ended up buying two racehorses and went to the track literally every night for a year. So it was easy for me to drop out. I wasn't doing anything. Right. I was making money. I was already right. I was already making more money selling football pools for my bookie, literally selling homework, taking kids back and forth to school and charging them. So I already I always had money in my pocket. Right. right. And I always understood that it was my responsibility to put that money there. Most of the kids in college get given money. Yeah. Most of the kids in college, especially a higher price school, aren't working for a living after class. They have an expectation. They have an entitlement. And I never did. Yeah. Maybe that was my foundation, John. I, I, I can't explain it, but I just assumed that my dad was smart guy. I'm a smart guy. He's successful. I'll be successful. Yeah. Well, you, you got the uh, education of success through, through your dad and the school of yeah. hard knocks. Yes. Um, well, you know, you know, here's here's what I I think that uh, someone had told me when I graduated is that your competition is not that sharp. Yeah. I mean, and and I say that because when you look at people, uh, and again at you know twenty one, I had no clue about this because the the people around me at, in school at the University of Texas were all seemed pretty sharp. But what I wish somebody had said is that when you get out in the real world, first of all, the people you're competing against are not that organized. On a scale of one right. to ten, they're probably a 
five or six. And and they're not planning their day the night before. They're not time blocking their day. So right off the bat, they're not organized. And then the second thing, and this covers what we were talking about a minute ago, they're not growing. Uh, you, you probably heard this stat, Jeffrey, that 40%, I think it's 40% of people who graduate from college never read another book after they graduate, 40%. So, you know, your competition isn't growing. They're also not setting aside time to do something that everybody should do, which is just set aside time to think two times a week. This is something I know you and I share a, a belief in, but I'm like, how easy is this? I mean, this is a habit the top entrepreneurs in the world do, but very few people do it. So they're not thinking, stepping back and thinking. They're also not impacting their mindset. You know, 80% to 90% of people have a negative inner voice. Wow. You're going to put up yeah. with that? And also, they're not controlling their daily actions, 95% of which are unconscious. So the point of all that is if you do, if you fix those five things, you're at such an advantage over everybody else. And of course, that's what we teach and, and think it be it. But I, I never would have realized how inept my competition was. And, and I had to learn that. And I, and I was inept for way too many years myself, I might add. Yeah. But I'm, I damn sure don't let anybody I teach be inept like that. Yeah, I didn't. I want to clarify something for your listeners. I didn't go to the school of hard knocks. I went to the school of bounced checks. <laughs> Isn't that the same thing? Kind of. Because then you have to go collect them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. But but I will say this, and I've had this phrase for years, most people won't do the hard work that it takes to make success easy. Yeah, yeah that's a great, yeah, great line. And that's it, it goes for salespeople too. Most salespeople won't do the hard work it takes to make sales easy. Right. For some people, sales is hard. I, but the work I did to prepare myself, that was the hard work. The sale part was the easy part. Right. All you had to do was execute. Right. When you and, say say the preparation, what give us a feel for that? Okay, if I had a one hour presentation, I'll work for three hours to get ready. Right, I'm right. going to get every kind of background I can. I'm going to call a couple of people that I know to find out what they know. Now I've got the the power of Google and their websites and all their social media platforms. Never had that when I was doing it. Yeah, I you know I used to use like the Thomas Register or whatever else I could find, but. The the bottom line in today is if you don't get ready for your call, something's drastically wrong. Yeah. You're watching Netflix and drinking a beer like an idiot. Right. And I I love those guys because I pass them all every day. I pass those people. Right. But the real challenge, and this is a subtle secret, John, very subtle. If you don't love what you do, you're never going to get ready. Yeah. Yeah. There's no There's no passion behind it. Mm-hmm. There's no desire, but you're going to skate by and do whatever you can. Maybe make a goal. Maybe make the president's club and think you're going to have something to do with it. But you're not going to rise above the rest. Right. You're going right. to stay in the pack. Well, and you know, the other thing that I'd love your take on this, the thing that I came to realize 
really probably more in the last 10 or 15 years than any time before, is that only 2% of people are driven. Most of them, more success is, is merely a preference. I never would have thought that, primarily because I was looking at, at the world from my eyes. I was driven. But what's what's your take on that? You buy that? Um, I had always heard it was 4%, but we're in the same category. Right. The Most people are willing to settle. And most people have low aspirations for themselves because they don't have a deep belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned early on when I was broke and really needed money that studying attitude was just the way out of it. Right. Not getting a job, but yeah. rather having an opportunity and moving forward with that opportunity. And that your attitude and your belief system played such an amazing major role in that process that I had to study attitude and and dig into my own personal self-confidences and belief in myself in order to be able to make that happen. I always had fun at it. Right, right. You know, tell that story about when you were, it was 1971 and, and you were in a Think and Grow Rich book club. Tell that story. I was working for a, an MLM. It was run by Glenn Turner, who was at that point known as the king of network marketing. Right. And they didn't call it multi-level. They, they called it network marketing because multi-level marketing people were illegal. They went to jail and all the other stuff. Glenn ended up going to jail. But every day we read one chapter of Thinking Grow Rich and then did a book report on it. Five guys in the, in the, in the club. Well, there's only 15 chapters, so every three weeks, we're done with the book. We had to go to the, and went back to chapter one. And you remember, you put into practice, you do the things that he was talking about, that Napoleon Hill talks about, regardless of the chapter, and some of them were phenomenal, as you know. But after a while, you begin to live them. Repetition is the mother of mastery. And if you read Think and Grow Rich one time, you're doing yourself the biggest disservice on the planet. It's a 10 times read book. You should read it every three months. Right. And that way you you get the, it's an old fashioned written book. The language is not the same as ours, but I can promise you the the translations and the definitions are, they're spot on the money still today. 85 years later. Right, right. So I recommend that that takes place. And I'll tell you, there was one day in the middle of the studies, I'm walking down my steps from the living room to the basement where I had a pool table and a jukebox. And I said to myself, oh, oh, I got it. I I understand my attitude. I understand myself. I can't explain it. It was just like, one of these feelings that just comes over your whole body. And literally from that day on, I have been impenetrable. You can have everything in my life. You cannot have my attitude. And so and, it's it was at that moment that you knew you were going to be successful. Oh, totally. I always thought about it. And literally, I had successful businesses, but I struggled at them. Yeah. Once I, once I got the attitude, the struggle went away. Right. It right. became a love. Not a work. Right. Yeah, I can see that. It's, you know, it's interesting how how you got to have a come to Jesus visit with yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, you had that. I had it at 50. And, you know, but a- attitude is everything. You know, what don't you think? 
Totally. Uh, well, let me share a secret with your listeners. Okay. If you're still blaming people for what you are not doing, you don't get it. Yeah. It took you to 50 to take responsibility for yourself and your actions. Mm-hmm. I was lucky. I got it around 26. Mm-hmm. But taking responsibility for the fact that if shit didn't turn out well, that's my problem. Right. That's somebody else's. Right. That's, you know, that's, and the guy, one of the guys who was teaching me referred to problems as temporary situations. Mm-hmm. And my dad, one day I came home from college and I'm slamming doors. And my dad goes, problem, son? I go, ah. He goes, uh, anything 10 grand wouldn't cure? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no. I thought he was going to give me 10 grand. He did not. <laughs> he did not. But think of think of you. Think If you're a listener right now to this podcast, think of what $10,000 would cure in your life even 50 years later. Right. 50 years later. 10 grand. And maybe it's 20. But I guarantee you there's a number that makes your problems go away. Right. Right. Well, you know, I've, I've come to realize that Success is amazingly simple because, you know, nobody will argue with the concept that that your success in life as well as your enjoyment in life comes down to the thoughts that are going on in your head and on, a, yep. on an ongoing basis. And through using a proper system like Think and Be It, you can you can create the thoughts that you should be having going through your head. But again. Most people aren't going to do it. That's the beauty of being of success. It's so freaking easy because nobody else is going to do the stuff, right? The very, very, the, the, the fast lane, the passing lane is always empty. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful, though? Because, yeah. you know, most people, Jeffrey, are fine with the average life. I hated the average life. I'm like, all you losers that want to be the the average life, go enjoy. I'm not going to be playing that game. Everybody in the world needs to read Think and Grow Rich at least a half a dozen times, and then you'll understand what game you're playing. Right. Yeah, right. Because Napoleon Hill throws the challenges at you and says, okay, dude, what are you doing? Why are you thinking like that? Right. What's, what are your outcomes going to be? Who are you associating with? What do you believe in? What's your level of faith? And right. I took faith to be not just religion, but faith in yourself and faith that other people will do their thing. Right. Oh, it, so, you know, it all starts with belief in yourself. Yeah. You know, and and this this thing that so many people have, this negative inner voice, I'm like, man. Life's hard enough without you piling on you. You gotta, yep. you gotta be your own best friend. You gotta, you gotta believe you can accomplish anything you set your mind to, right? And Napoleon Hill was brilliant in that. In the beginning of the book, he put desire. Yeah, right. What do you want? Why do you want it so bad? And if you can define that, you're gonna win. If you can't define that, you're gonna go home and watch Netflix and drink a beer. Yeah. That's right. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, can I share with the audience why I think you're successful? I got a sure. couple of observations. So in full disclosure, I went and saw Jeffrey, what, two or three weeks ago? 
So fun. He lives in Charlotte, and we got reconnected after, what, 30 years. And we hung out for a day and a half, and it was so fun. He has an amazing house, one of the coolest houses I've ever seen. It's a museum. We just had a ball. But I'm watching him. And, you know, like we go out to, to eat, and there is nobody that Jeffrey doesn't talk to. You know, he's talking to the maitre d' at the restaurants we go. And then we're talking to the the waiters. And then, you know, later when he drives me off the airport, the baggage people, and he's inter- he's engaging. He's just not just, you know, talking to them. He is engaged. And it's a great way to do life, I think, because, you know, there's a, when you're dealing with Jeffrey, there's an exchange of energy. And at least from his end, it's it's very positive energy. And I think that that sort of goes back to what you said, Jeffrey, about loving life and loving what you do. I mean, you love being you. You know, the funny part is I don't think of it as an energy exchange. I just think of it as an information exchange or an idea exchange and not really fully realizing that it's energy as well. Right. So thanks for pointing that out. But I think that that the secret of it is I make friends with people right away. Right. And I, I'm vulnerable enough to do that. I'm not like on guard, like, oh, why am I talking to this person? Who are they? It's opposite from how I was raised because you don't talk to strangers. You make no eye contact with anybody. And, you know, growing up in a big city, that basically those are the rules. But I found out when I violated them, nothing happened bad. Only, only things that happened were good. Right. So I kept violating the rules. Well, and you know, the other thing that I found interesting with you is is you would always lead with a question. You weren't telling people stuff. You were leading by making them think, which is a powerful concept if you want to influence people, is, is lead with a question. And I don't let people give me bullshit answers. Right, right. So if I ask the sky cap at the airport, how's it going? Oh, it's fine. I go, that's bullshit. What's really going on? Right. Yeah, right. Well, the airport's taking away our tips and they're taking away the booth and they get through this whole diatribe of what they're doing. Right. But sometimes you have to ask the same question twice and call bullshit in the middle. Right. Well, you know, I tell you, I know exactly what you you mean. Let me share something that happened to me last week that I'd love your take on it. So I have a a potential client come to me that wants to learn think it be it. And so we're I'm I'm sort of interviewing her to see if she's a good fit. And she uh I say, well, you know, what percentage of your potential do you do you think you're playing the game of life at today? And she goes, twenty five percent. I'm like, okay, why do you think that is? And so she muddles through doesn't really know, I say to her, well, let me tell you why. It's obvious to me. I mean, 95% of your daily actions are unconscious. And the significance of that is that if your daily actions determine your success in life and 95% are unconscious and you're not controlling those unconscious daily actions, of course you're playing at 25% of your potential. I mean, it's pure math. It's simple. It's easy. And so she hears all that, and then we continue our discussion. And 
literally probably 10 or 15 minutes later in the discussion, I go, so why are you playing at 25% of your potential? Well, she doesn't know. And I'm like, okay, so whose fault is this? Is it mine or hers? And I came away with, hey, it's mine because I told her the answer. I didn't make her discover the answer like you probably would have. I told her the answer. And like if I had to do that over again, I uh, I would have m- made her discover through questions that her daily actions determine her success in each area of her life. And then, you know, I would have led her down that road of discovering that 95% of her daily actions are unconscious. And so at the end of the day, in terms of accepting her as a client, I'm not so sure she is a good fit. But but I also am factoring in, did I just do a poor job of of making her realize it? So I, I'm undecided. But what's your take on all that? I would take her in because she's already admitted that she's at 25% of capacity. Right. Then I would start out by saying, how do you think we can just get to 30%? Right. And not right. give her that whole long, like, oh, I can never get to 100%. I'm only at 25%, but I can probably get to 30%. Right. So what is like three things that you can do that will get you to 30%? And you write down those three things, and I'll write down three things of my own, and let's compare them. Yeah. She's making a plan for herself to get better. Right. And then I'll say, well, have you ever thought about changing your morning routine? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, most people wake up, pee, brush their teeth, get dressed, get a cup of coffee and go to work. Right. Like a full. Okay. So that morning routine is one thing. Then I'm going to say, well, what do you read at night? And do you just think that might be able to help if you change television to a funny book or a a nonfiction book? Right. What do you think would happen? And maybe it's only three nights a week. You can still piss off your, their, the other four nights a week. Yeah. And then and finally, I'm saying, okay, who's guiding you? What do you mean? Well, you know, who calls you up on the phone? I, literally, I used to get a call from Ty Boyd, who was my mentor here speaking in Charlotte. And he would call me every single Sunday night. He had the voice of God. And we go, get him her. What are you <laughs> going to be doing this week? I'm like, oh. and and calling me out on what I was or wasn't doing. Right. And... So you have those elements. Your your morning routine is critical. What you read is critical. And who mentors you is critical. And if you can harness those things, 5% becomes 10% in a real short period of time. And then yeah. now you can do it. So I would, I'd say, look, you're a project, but you're a project with opportunity. So I'm going to take the opportunity, if you will, I'll charge you my normal fee, even though I should be charging you fucking triple because you're going to be a pain in the ass. <laughs> I, right. I literally, John, one time I had a client in St. Louis. I was fixing T-shirt factories. And I quote my fee. It was $5,000 for the week. This is 1975, maybe 76. And I said, but before I start, let me take a tour of the factory. It was the worst place I've ever been in in my life. I came back in. I said, "Listen, my fee is not five thousand; it's ten thousand, and I don't want this job because it's going to be the biggest fucking pain in the ass on the planet." Right. And they hired me, and literally, I turned that place around in a weekend. 
all the piles of garbage were gone. They had a whole production system. I rearranged them. I did it all by myself over a weekend. And they had like 60 employees. So they all come to work on Monday like, whoa, look at this place. So the challenge is, can you do what you say you're going to do? So if you're going to take on this woman as a coaching customer, you want to make sure you can give her the goods that will fix her. That's critical. Because right. she's going to come online and say, listen, John didn't, didn't want to hire me. And then, so I, I begged him. And then here's what happened. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I give them a money back guarantee. So that's usually not a problem. But I'm also going to make sure they understand the transformation, transformation yeah. that's going to happen. And, you know, like I told her, I said, you know, you're just winging life. That's all you're doing. You just get up every morning. You're winging life, doing the best you can. And that's a formula for an, an average life. I said, you know, where we're going is is you're going to stop winging life because we're going to create a morning routine where you're going to feed the succinct articulation of your life all yourself right, each now, day. I have an idea. Okay. Mrs. Jones, Mary, whatever your name is, every Friday night for a month, I want you to go to a wing place. And I want you to get a dozen wings, super hot ones. And I want you to eat them with beer. And then for the next month, every Friday night, I want you to go have steak. The best food money can buy with a glass of wine. So you understand the difference between drinking beer and eating wings and slob, being a slob. We're going to a place where they have a tablecloth and a knife and fork and people come and serve you and you elevate your own status. Yeah. That would be that would be transformation mentally. Yeah, right. I like you that see, idea. I think it's a good one. Yeah. I think it's a good one. And and they can see themselves that this is I don't want to live in a fucking wing bar. Yeah. You got here smell like a wing. <laughs> you don't want to smell like a wing. But it's a, it's a perfect metaphor to the winging it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is a that's a good point. I like that. I like that. So what other pieces of wisdom about success come to mind as we sort of wrap well, this up? The the first one is the most important one. If you don't love it, get the hell out of there. Right. It's going to do you no good. Now, maybe when you graduate from college, you take a job because you have to, or you take a job for experience, even though you don't like it that well, but don't stay at it too long. Get the experience you need. Get the hell out of there. Make your list of a dozen things that you want to do it there where you'd work for free. Mm-hmm. Make that list. And if you can land a job at one of those places, you're already halfway up the ladder. Right. You're already working where you want to be. Right. Now all you have to do is perform. Well, and you know, it goes back to that idea that only 2% of people consider set success a necessity as opposed to a, yeah. a preference. So or you got to move it away from being a preference. At people who buy the lottery tickets. Yeah. Yeah, they they all fall into the same category of fucking idiots. Right. And they'd rather piss away the money on a lottery ticket than to buy a book. Yeah, right. You know, I've never thought that something the state should promote is people to gamble. Because the people that are the least able to afford it are doing right. most of the gambling. Exactly. I see people scratching numbers off of a of a card. Yeah. Hoping that they hit the lot. Like, seriously, that's what you have to do with your life? 
Like seriously? Yeah. You know, I told you, I, the other day I, I went into a 7-Eleven and I see a guy order, uh, get some cigarettes and a lottery ticket. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I already know about this guy's life. Not good. He's over. Yeah, exactly. And I think he, he had Twinkies as well. Oh, so, yeah. Well, there's something to be said for them. So let's not let's not bash them all at once. Well, um, you know, I, I hear you. I like it. I eat those snowball life. things. I can't <laughs> help it. I see them in the store. I go, fuck it. I got to go. It's one package. Because when I was growing up in Philly, they have Tasty Cakes. Right. Tasty Cakes are like heroin. And <laughs> I'm like a butterscotch crimpet guy. And every once in a while, someone will literally send me a box of them in the mail. Because they know what I like. Right. Right. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, uh, I'll say that, you know, if you really want to be successful, you have to find something that's fun that you love, that you want to dedicate your time to. Right. I mean, you know, you're not going to marry somebody you don't like. You're going to marry somebody you love. Same with your job. You got. You're going to marry it. You're going to be there eight hours, 10 hours a day for years. Find something you love, babe, and do that. Well, and you know, I agree with that. And then I'd add on, do the the modicum of things that most other people won't do, which such as being organized, growing consistently, setting aside time to think. You know, all that stuff is really easy to do, but most people won't won't do it. And I see that so many people today live life as such a shallow existence, you know, which I think is promoted by social media that, you know, we're thinking shallowly and they're just going through the motions when, you know, if you'll just grab a hold of your life and make it what you want. I mean, it's just not that hard. Let me redefine thinking for just a minute. People wake up and think, what do I have to do today? Where's my to-do list? And so I would recommend people make two to-do lists. One, the shit that they got to do today or the things that they promised somebody else that they would do. Make the longest list you possibly can before you go to bed at night. That's the first list. Set it aside. Second list, things you really want to do. Whether it's go to Paris or get a new car or go fishing on the weekend. Whatever it is that you want to do, make that list. But make it second. So that your mind, your your brain when you're sleeping will focus on the last thing you did. And it will be the most fun thing that you did. And you'll sleep better. And you'll wake up and you don't have to worry about what you're going to do. You already got it written down. Right. I like and, that. Yeah. I think you should voice that. I, I have been doing it for years and years. I make a list of everything I got to do. And I'm, and I'm at peace. Right. And sometimes I will have forgotten something on the list and I'll pick up my phone and voice to text myself and set it down. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do anything. I, I've already recorded it down on a, some kind of data thing and I'm done. It's a system. It is a system. Right. And I'll tell you, I didn't think about it as a system until you and I met and talked about it. But my morning routine is my system. Yeah, right. And I, John, I never miss. I never miss right because it's for me i'm selfish attitude is selfish belief is selfish all self-confidence is selfish but you end up if you if you don't have attitude belief self-confidence how are you going to help anybody else exactly exactly yeah or you're going to try to be a martyr like i gave you the best years of my life 
<laughs> well, they were the best years. Why don't you like keep a couple for yourself? <laughs> right. Those were your best. Are you yeah. kidding me? Man. Yeah. I don't want to get into I don't want to get into the definition of what some people define as best, but I do want to talk about being a martyr is not a good place to be. Oh, no kidding. Never be a victim. Unbelievable. And many people are. Right. Right. Or they play the victim card. Well, and you know, one of the things I obviously teach is is personal responsibility. And as uh, you know, I went and saw the president at High Point University, and yeah. and they they teach life skills there. And you know, one of the things they teach is is personal responsibility, which which more specifically means never being a victim, owning your results. You don't like your results, change your behaviors. But you know, one of the things I observed is that is that so many thought leaders will espouse things like that personal responsibility or or having the attitude that I can accomplish anything I set my mind to. Well, you know, when I see that, I'm like, that's basically useless because all it's doing is impacting intention. Unless you're grinding that into your subconscious mind through the daily repetition, which is what think it be it is, it, it does you no good. You've got to make it a part of your, your subconscious before it's going to actually show up in your life. And, and I see that's the biggest flaw in the personal development space is that all people are doing is impacting intentions. They're not actually impacting who people become. And that's what I'm most proud of with Think It Be It. I think, though, that just me personally, from what I've done myself over the years, if I don't intend to do something, it's less likely to get done than if I put on a piece of paper. Right. Yeah, I want I want the intention to be there. That will lead to the actual action. Mm -hmm. That will lead to the actual thing. Assuming I'm not a procrastinator. Assuming I'm not just a you know pie in the sky person. Right. I don't want to look at it and go, well, that's going to be too hard. I'll skip that and do something else. Right. Right. I, I'm going to do it no matter if my ass falls off. Yeah. But it's it's not the goal. It's the intention. Because if you have a written down goal and you don't intend to do it, it's just not going to get done. So well, intention and, plays the minor role. Well, and everything starts with an intention. I mean, you yeah. can, I mean, everything's got to be an intention at some point, but usually that's where it starts and ends. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Well, hey, this is this has been fun. We'll have to do this again. And so any, any final words to our audience? John, I want to thank you for that check that you gave me to do this episode. I totally appreciate it. You haven't cashed it yet, have you? No, no, no. Don't worry about okay, that. Okay, that's good. I, that's I good. save them and I just wallpaper my walls with them. Um, you know, you'd be putting into practice that uh, bounce check idea. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but here's the deal. If you're a listener of this, there's no way we would exchange money for something like this. It's just not what friends do. Right. And like uh, John said, well, can you come on my podcast? Yeah, I love what are we going to talk about? How are we going to do it? That's how I look at it, because I get to participate in a way where I know there's going to be ending impact. So intention leads to impact. Mm -hmm. Intention leads to completion. And you have to complete in order to have anything. Be careful about how you complete, because there's, there's a follow through. And you can't just complete and leave a mess. Yeah, I made my bed, but my closet's a mess. 
And no, not how it works, bud. You go all the way through everything, and everything has to be in its order and in its place. One of the things that you should follow John Mitchell on is his systems, because he's got a system for everything. And there's a reason for it. And the read, there's a two-word reason for systems. They work. And once you realize that, you have everything you need, I think. But more important than that, we have a very, very important game coming up in December where my Eagles will play your piece of shit Cowboys. And it's either we're going to split. I'm buying you barbecue in Charlotte. You're buying me barbecue in Dallas. Or you're going to owe me two barbecues. <laughs> well, you know, you may have to. Why don't you come to Texas for that game? Okay. That might be fun. I don't, I don't know when it is, but I'll t- if I'm not in Paris, I'll be in Texas. Okay. Okay. Or the other alternative is we wait until they play the playoffs. in the playoffs in Whoa. Philadelphia. Now you're talking. That might be even more fun. You can wear your Dallas gear so you can catch beer in midair. Yeah, that I can't wait. Okay. Well, until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for listening today. If you've had your own aha moment from today's episode, send me or John an email. We'd love to share your epiphany with our audience. So email us at kelly at thinkitbeit.com or john at thinkitbeit.com. In the meantime, live the exceptional life. <laughs>